Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for the Postgraduate Pharmacist. On the Postgraduate Pharmacist, we focus on preparing and obtaining postgraduate training positions. From current events to expert advice, you'll have up-to-date content related to postgraduate training. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And don't forget to separate and stand out. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you've all made those New Year resolutions. I know I have. A new year means an opportunity for a new you. Speaking of new you, from all of us here at The Postgraduate Pharmacist, we want to know one way you plan to reinvent yourself. Let us know on Twitter, and you may get a shout out on our next bonus episode that we do. And the new year also means a whole new interview season for postgraduate training. So all your hard work is coming to fruition and will be on full display the next few months. It's easy to see why interview season is one of the most anxiety-driven periods in the postgraduate application process. Second only to the morning of match results, I would say. Similar to how we talked about the virtual showcase, we wanted to bring you another two-part episode, or two-part series, I should say, where we get the perspectives of the applicant going through interview season, as well as the perspective of the RPD. This week, we have current residents with us, Macy Wakington and Devin Rockwell. Macy is completing her PGY-1 pharmacy residency at the University of South Alabama University Hospital. Devin is currently in her PGY-2, so she completed a PGY-1 residency uh, in pharmacy at West Florida Hospital and is now completing her PGY-2 in ambulatory care at USA Family Medicine and Health Physicians Group. So Macy and Devin, I've been promising I'd get you on the show for a long time, and I am so excited to have you here. Welcome to the Postgraduate Pharmacist. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's really great to be here after listening to all your episodes. She is a major fan, Taylor, by the way. She listens to everyone. I don't make her do that, too. Well, thanks for uh, boosting our downloads and everything. I appreciate it. Anytime. So as it uh, is quickly becoming a tradition on the postgraduate pharmacist, we want our listeners to know a little bit about you two before we get into our topic. So could you briefly tell us about your professional journeys thus far in postgraduate training? So I attended pharmacy school at Samford University. And early on in pharmacy school, I knew that I wanted to pursue postgraduate training. Mm -hmm. So as I was progressing through the curriculum, I tried to keep that at the forefront of my mind. I was involved in various clubs and organizations. And when it came time to select fourth year rotations, I tried to make sure that I got a robust clinical experience. And I started the application in mid-November of 2020, I guess, and went through that through mid-year and the application and interview process. And I matched at the University of South Alabama University Hospital, and I moved down to Mobile in June, and I started my residency the 1st of July. I was a pharmacy student at Auburn's Pharmacy School, but I was on the Mobile campus. 
And I knew from the start of pharmacy school that I wanted to do residency and have that clinical training. So for the four years of pharmacy school, I worked towards obtaining that goal and building my CV and making sure I had all the experiences I needed. I matched at West Florida Hospital in Pensacola, and that's where I did my first year of residency. And then I decided I wanted to do further training and be specialized in ambulatory care. And I ended up matching at the USA Family Medicine Clinic, where now I am specializing. Well, thank you all both for sharing your journeys with us. So on to our topic for today, we want to learn what it's like going through the process as an interviewee. This episode drops first week of January. So let's take a trip in the old time machine. (laughs) Travel back to the first week of January for you all when you were going through this process. What was going through your head and what were you doing to prepare for possible interviews? So the first week of January was definitely stressful. I found myself constantly refreshing my email to see about interview invites. And my first interview invite came January 18th. And in the time period from clicking submit on forecast to getting the first invite, I prepared different interview questions going through the tell me about a time, the clinical situations, and going over the questions as well as the answers with several of my friends that were also pursuing postgraduate training. Similar for me, it was really nerve wracking. Um, I knew I wanted to prepare for the questions that was going to be asked during my interview. So I actually got the book called 100 Strong Residency Interview Questions and went through those situational questions where I could prepare for the tell me of a time when I would go back through my rotations, making sure I went through my notes that I took on rotations about interventions that I made. And so all throughout that, I was just preparing for the interviews. Yeah, I think anybody who's gone through this process can attest that that, you know, initial period in January after you've submitted and spent all that time submitting your applications, it's very nerve wracking just kind of playing that waiting game. So that's definitely an emotion that probably runs through a lot of people's minds. I like how you all mentioned that, you know, instead of just sitting there and waiting, you you would try to be productive and prepare for those interview questions, practicing those situational questions you mentioned. And Devin, I, I like that uh, you mentioned that resource. I hadn't heard of that resource before, but I know there's also a lot of online resources as well um, for different types of residency interview questions. So like how you both said that. When did you hear from your first program and what was it like scheduling that interview? So I heard from my first program on January 18th and scheduling that interview went pretty smoothly because during that time I was still on my off block. So I didn't need to clear the dates with my preceptor. I was able to go ahead and schedule it. For my interviews, I don't remember exactly the date that my first one came in, but I was on a rotation. And so I needed to talk with my preceptor. So as soon as I got the email, I went to my preceptor and let them know the available dates that they gave me and seeing what would work best with the experiences that she had planned for me and what days I could actually take off. And then I replied to the interview after that. Macy, you just fired off January 18th. Like it was like a no big deal question. You're like, oh yeah, no, January 18th. How'd you come across January 18th so quickly like that? I actually went back and looked in my email. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I love that you gave an exact date. I could probably give you the time. So just the time frame. (laughs) You probably give a timestamp too. Um, (laughs) Bonus points for that. But yeah, I I think that mid to late January is probably when you hear from most programs about interviews. Just kind of be on the lookout and kind of expect that. Devin, you mentioned, you know, having that open lines of communication with your preceptor. Did you, was that something you talked to them about before rotation? Like you emailed, hey, I have applied for residency. I'm waiting to hear back. I'll let you know. Or kind of how did you approach that? It was more of the first day of the um, rotation. I talked with the preceptor whenever we were doing our introductions. And I just let her know that, hey, I'm applying for residency. I may have to do some interview dates, just making sure that she would be okay with it. And she was fine with it. And made available dates for me to be able to take off. And if there was a time where I needed to do something to make up, she always gave me that work ahead of time as well. So she worked really well with me and giving the times that I needed off. So were your interviews virtual? So mine were of the ones that I completed, they were all virtual. There were two interviews that I declined that were in person. My interviews were early 2020, so pre-COVID. So all of my PGY-1 interviews were in person. But for my PGY-2 interview, they were virtual because it was after COVID. What do you anticipate programs will do this year? And we like ask, I, I like to ask this because it's a hot topic and probably it's going through every student's or applicant's head. Do you think they're going to offer a hybrid model, live model, virtual model? I think they'll probably do a hybrid model. For the applicants that want to come in person, I think that some programs will still give them that option. But for those that may not feel as comfortable traveling or coming in person, they would still give them a virtual option to interview. I agree. I think it'll either be the hybrid model or institutions will do all virtual. Yeah, I think this is a a very hot topic, like you mentioned, Sean. It's something that's going, some of this conversation is taking place on Twitter and, you know, other platforms right now. But one of the things that has been mentioned as a product of COVID when we, you know, shifted to some more virtual interviews that, you know, it might be a good thing moving forward for applicants because a lot of interviews may be cost prohibitive. Um, so this allows the opportunity to kind of level the playing field a little bit um, in terms of traveling to places across the country and, and being able to interview with those places. So my thought is that it, it'll be some sort of hybrid model, but some places will also, you know, require live interviews. Some will do all virtual. So it's going to just be program specific, I would imagine. So just be prepared for anything. So what information did you receive prior to the interview and how did this change or help how you prepared? So all of the programs provided a schedule of the day. And some of them provided in that schedule, the different, I guess, breakout rooms and what the topics of those rooms would be. If they had an admin portion, I thought about the questions that I could potentially be asked and the tell me about a time, the how would you respond to this situation. If they had a clinical portion, thinking through the interventions that I had made during fourth year, as well as situational-based questions. And then if I had a presentation section of the interview, seeing if they provided more details about the presentation, whether it be an about me presentation or a clinical 
presentation. Similar for me, I would get a list that showed the layout of the day and the times that I would be there. And for preparing, I just practiced interviewing and I did that with my family members. Or if I was doing my virtual interview, I actually recorded myself to look at myself and see how I looked on camera. And then also with my family members, I had them give me feedback of how I looked during my interview and just practicing going through being asked questions on the spot. That's a new one, recording yourself. Well, I think we've actually, we've heard something like that, but I, I like that as a bold move. A lot of people can't stand watching themselves. Yeah. I cannot, <laughs> but I did it for the interview. It's all all in the name of uh, of being best prepared. It, it can, I know it might seem like it might, like it would be kind of cringe, but I think it would be really helpful because you get practice with your layout of your camera, looking into it, knowing where to look and how your setup is, how you're, how you're speaking. So I, I do really like that. And I think it would be helpful if you are able to kind of get over that initial cringe, but that's a good suggestion. Yeah. And I would go, I would add one. I'd say if you're going to do that, listen to yourself only to like turn off the video and just listen to you talk. Cause I've, you know, Taylor and I've learned so much from editing these podcasts in terms of like hearing people's verbal filler words and ticks and things like that. So you can help like when you're watching, it's harder to see those things, but when you're just listening, they really stand out and and you can try to identify those too. Before we get into the rest of our topics, I know Macy and Devin only came on the show because they wanted to participate in everybody's favorite segment, the postgraduate pharmacist trivia. So I'm going to raise the stakes a little bit and they're only allowed to come back on the postgraduate pharmacist <laughs> in the future if they answer the question correctly because pressure it's pharmacy related so they should know right <laughs> i don't think i i think i've only gotten one question right listening to all your episodes so may not better than sean well. probably that's then. It's probably better than me i don't know i've been asking some layups recently so but here here's this question i'll give you some answers so mentioned it was pharmacy related um, kind of history. So what state was the first to found its own state pharmacy association? So was it Maine, Delaware, Massachusetts, or New Hampshire? I have no clue. So I am just going to guess Massachusetts. I'm going to say New Hampshire. I have no idea. I'm going to say Maine because it's an old state. <laughs> I think they're all old they're states. They're all old. They're all in New England. I know. But... <laughs> Is that your final answer? All right. Let me change my answer then. I'm going to say it's probably Massachusetts because of Boston. Okay. Is that your final answer? Well, you sound less. Con- you, you sounded disappointed I said that. So, yeah, that's my final answer. All right. You should have stuck with your gut. It's oh, Maine. Oh, stop it. <laughs> you, Macy. She threw me off that one. Manipulation at its finest. So yeah, Maine, Maine was actually the first um, state. The Maine Pharmaceutical Association was founded in 1867. So there you go. Good distractor with the uh, with Massachusetts. So back to some questions here. So what were some things that you did to try and reduce your nerves or anxiety over interviewing? I think taking the time to prepare for the 
common questions that you hear thrown out there and thinking about my responses as well as going back through the clinical situations and brushing up on guidelines. I feel like with interviews, people always ask questions that will throw you off and you can't really prepare for those. And just knowing that those were going to happen, but I could be prepared for what I could be prepared for. And that was the interventions that I had made The tell me about yourself. Why do you want to do a residency? Those type of questions. I think what eased my anxiety the most was remembering that they actually offered me this interview. I had already made it through their screening process and they did think that I met the criteria to actually be extended an interview. And so just remembering to bring myself to the interview because this is more of seeing if we fit rather than me having to actually meet a certain criteria. Without giving too many details away, did they assess your clinical knowledge? I know, Macy, you already talked about kind of what was in the breakdown of your letter and you said you had to do some of these presentations and stuff, but did they assess, did any of the programs assess your clinical knowledge and how did you handle that situation? And sort of how did you handle that situation? Did you anticipate that might happen? How did you, what'd you do then? And then when you were on site and it happened, like, what'd you do in the moment? So I had some interviews that it was a rapid fire kind of clinical questions. So I guess an example, this wasn't a question that I got, but an example would be, what is the range of lithium, therapeutic range for lithium? And then I had other places that gave me a case and I had to present the case to preceptors and the preceptors would ask me questions about the case. And I kind of had to defend my rationales. They asked you cold knowledge. What's the range of lithium? No, I was not personally asked that question, but that was a question that I had heard someone several years ago be asked. I was going to say, that's a, that's a tough one, especially if you hadn't seen it in the last 12 months or so (laughs) pharmacy school and you didn't have a rotation in which people were taking that drug. That would have been a, that's a very unique drug to have picked a therapeutic range for. Uh, What about you, Devin? I think at every interview I had, I did have some type of clinical assessment of my knowledge. And sometimes it was a case-based question, sometimes it was rapid fire, and sometimes it was actually a presentation. And so there was no really big way to prepare for this besides just the base knowledge that you've learned throughout your four years of pharmacy school and making sure that you're paying attention during your rotations. Yeah, I think think it's more common probably to do more of the case- cases and and things like that just because you know they can get more information out of that versus just asking you cold knowledge questions they can you know view your thought process how you would problem solve and things like that so just be sure to explain that as we've mentioned on previous episodes yeah i was gonna say so did any of you have a um panic moment on interviews where you just were completely thrown off Y'all are looking at me like, are you kidding? We were so comfortable and prepared. I think the only time I had a mini panic moment was not for like the knowledge-based questions and it was not for tell me of times when. It was more of this random weird questions that they give you. And I'm trying to think of an example. Like if you could describe the pharmacy, what fruit would you say it is? Oh, apricot. Yeah. So that. (laughs) Is that a fruit? 
(laughs) (laughs) That question really threw me off just because I don't feel like I'm creative on the spot. I didn't think you could answer those questions right. I thought it was all just uh, whatever. And then I heard this one student asked her, like, what what animal would you be? And she was like, I said, she said, like, I would be a lion because they work well in teams. They coordinate this. They do all this. Stuff. I'm like, that's an actual good answer to that question here. I thought you just could pick whatever you want. I was even on interview and they said and, I, and they made the mistake of saying, was this what you expected it to be? Which took me out of the interview mindset took me out of that stay polished mindset that we were talking about in that bonus episode and i was like well i was actually surprised i was anticipating y'all were going to ask me what kind of if i was on a desert island what kind of <laughs> things would i do and the room just looked at me like is he for real saying this to us right now like is he is he this is he joking like this <laughs> so um so, yeah, I never got one of those questions, but I wouldn't advise saying that to, to the group and saying, you're not going to ask me what kind of animal I'd be if I could be a spirit <laughs> animal. So, yeah, I don't think that I had any panic over clinical questions. I think it was like Devin mentioned, um, I got asked a question and then I really thought about the response to the question. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said that um, i ended up matching at the program so well, that's good so we're good but. yeah i was just curious if y'all like if you had that moment like how you what what how'd you handle it at the time but uh but it doesn't happen often did you have a moment like that where you panicked and how'd you handle that i mean that was a long time ago we're talking yeah like... i can't remember <laughs> other than the but thing. but I, I i do remember you know having times where i maybe didn't have an answer right away. So I think in those moments, just taking a pause and taking a deep breath, gathering your thoughts so you can kind of, instead of panicking, which is natural to do in that situation, you can kind of collect yourself. And then even if it's, you know, a 10 second pause, it might feel awkward to you, but it really doesn't sound as awkward to the person who asked the question. So just know that, take a deep breath, you'll be fine. Yeah, as long as during that 10 second pause, you're looking like you're thinking of something and you're not just staring at the person. (laughs) I wrote down the questions that they asked me. And so that gave me my 10 second pause, but also let me look at the question again after I answered to make sure that I answered it fully. That's good. Yeah. So after the interview was done, did you reach out to the program? And if you did, how beneficial do you think it was? I did reach out to every program that I interviewed with and thanked them for the opportunity to interview with them. As far as how beneficial do I think it was, I feel like it's just common courtesy after an interview, especially I would say in the South, to offer a thank you note or an email. So I don't know if it's technically beneficial. I don't know if that's something that programs look at, but being raised in the South, I'm used to writing a thank you note for just about everything. That's a really cool cultural thing I haven't thought about before, like a regional thing is that in the South, you might have different perceptions of what's considered courtesy and what's considered appropriate versus the North. Yeah, no. So I don't know. Um, And all the programs I applied to were in the South. So I don't know as far as across the country, how 
other programs would feel about that. But I did as well reach out and write thank you notes, thanking everybody I interviewed with. I don't know if it made much of a difference because one was sent back to me because I did the handwritten notes. And so then I had to like send an email saying, hey, I know y'all didn't receive this, but I just wanted to let you know that I do thank you for the interview. And you took a picture of the timestamp in the return from the post office to say, I really did this. Oh, definitely. (laughs) No, I did not do that. Yeah, I think anywhere, you know, you're going to have people that appreciate the thank you notes. Some expect them maybe more than others. So I would just suggest if you haven't, go back to episode 18 on thank you letters. Dr. Leah Island, she does. She has some great advice with that, with regards to thank you notes and following up with them after interviews. But I do think it's a common courtesy and, you know, it doesn't take a significant amount of time to to do that after interviews. So. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. One thing I didn't mention was if you told the program that you would follow up with them about something, if you were in a clinical case and you said, I'm not sure about that, I'll get back to you. I do think it's really important that you follow up. Oh, yeah, that's powerful stuff when you remember. Because like half the time I'm reminding my students, hey, when I said follow up with that, you're supposed to email me (laughs) within the you know, so many days. So, oh, you really wanted, you you wanted that response? Yeah, that's why we said, look this up, get back to us. Yeah, I think that's powerful to do. I think that would go a long way, Macy. So last question. So what's one thing you wish you would have done differently? So I can't think of something specific to my PGY1 interviews that I would have done differently, but I can say as participating in interviewing for the PGY1 at West Florida that remembering to be professional throughout your whole interview, just because the RPD is not in this part or the pharmacy director is not there does not mean that you become unprofessional. So everybody after the interview processes get to have their voices heard. And so if you were unprofessional at one point, it does get talked about. Yeah, I agree with Devin. I don't have anything specific. And I think, especially with on-site interviews, from the moment you step foot in their institution, you are on that interview. It doesn't matter who you're interacting with. They don't even have to be somebody from the pharmacy staff, but make sure that you are professional, but that you're not a robot at the same time. Because I think like Devin mentioned earlier, they want to interview you, you've met their initial screening criteria, and they want to get to know you. So letting them see your personality and kind of assessing whether you think you'll fit in with them or not. Macy, that's great advice. And you, it hasn't released yet. So you haven't heard it. By the time this comes out, our bonus episode will have come out. And so that advice is like right on par with some of the advice we got during that episode. So if you're hearing it now, know that when you hear repeated advice, it's really important. And multiple people are telling you this as good advice because it works. So so when you hear things and when Taylor and I talk about stuff and we say, oh, yeah, we've said that before, uh, it's because that's that's really key advice to get. So I'm glad you said that like that matches up so well, segues with it. Any closing thoughts or last minute advice you have on interviews? I think during the virtual interviews, as I said earlier, with recording yourself, there's lots of distractions that can happen that you may not realize on screen that are distracting for the uh, interviewers if they're watching you, whether or not you swivel in a chair, if you're doing too many hand motions, if your eyes and your camera are not on the same screen. 
And then also if your background is distracting as well. So remembering to look at your surroundings and make sure that you're not doing any distracting motions so that they can pay attention to you and how your response, what your responses are. I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give this time frame is very, very nerve wracking. And I think taking time to slow down and be present in the moment and really taking it all in, whether you're doing virtual interviews or in-person interviews and really assessing whether you feel like you're a good fit at that institution and that they're a good fit for you and your goals. I think that's such a good testament to all the hard work that you've put in thus far and really great um, advice there. So Macy and Devin, thank you all so much for being guests on the Postgraduate Pharmacist today. We'll have to have you back for future episodes, even though you got the trivia question wrong. (laughs) You gave such good answers. It's really great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.